You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to M Squared TechCast, a live internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology, and politics in Michigan. Now, your hosts, Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan. Hey, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And you're listening to the M Squared TechCast right here at uh, MITechnews.tv and PodcastDetroit.com. Yep. And we have calling in from far, far away, uh, Maile <laughs> Astele, who uh, is my uh, my social media guru uh, and many other things, partner on several endeavors. But what he really, he has a whole team of people that are very good at social media. And one of the things we were discussing the other day was LinkedIn is now beginning to sort of offer video, but you have to be pre-screened and all the rest in order to be accepted, right? Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that, because I think a lot of the business folks out there might be interested in, in getting their videos up on LinkedIn, right, Maley? Hey, guys. Uh, glad to be with you again. Uh, it's always fun to be on your show. Uh, and we're never short of topics to talk about in digital marketing. Um, today, we're going to focus on LinkedIn Live. It's, uh, for lack of better words, a new tool. Uh, businesses um, have a way to tap into their existing connections. So and let's just use myself as an example. I got 15,000 close friends on LinkedIn. <laughs> no, so, I'm all my first name, right? You know, so. I know I'm all my first name. <laughs> They're global, everywhere. Uh, mostly United States, of course. Um, and so if I want to tap into reaching out to, the, to my connections, I can easily do so by using LinkedIn Live's streaming tool. Um, it's, it is a new process, uh, and it is designed to reach your professional audience. Um, if you go to Google type in LinkedIn live, the first thing you're going to get is, um, uh, LinkedIn lives main page regarding this topic. Um, and the, you know, there are a lot of, um, uh, val- there's a lot of value in going down this road. However, keep in mind, this is, this is only a live stream linkedin does not allow you to use pre-recorded video so mm-hmm. we have to move away from the word video in this case and move into the world the word live stream uh, we're streaming uh, a program that has to be at least 10 minutes it can uh i'm i i'm sorry yeah it has to be at least 10 minutes ideally you want to do it a little bit longer but they will not allow you to talk for five minutes and try and reach your uh, your audience, you know, haphazardly and just put something together. So actually, this show would be ideal for that. You could, I mean, if it's a video show that you're you're broadcasting, you could actually, uh, you know, get it, go on to LinkedIn Live and become part of that process. Hmm. Um, I it, I mean, it's valuable. I, I mean, Mike, you you said you have what six thousand connections. Yeah, six a little over six thousand, more like sixty five hundred now. Right, I'm sure, Matt and, has a bunch too, right, Matt? Yeah, about five thousand. So yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's, there's a chunk. And the other thing I would have to ask is, since the, our friends at Podcast Detroit are actually, I just uh, looked it up, Bailey. Sorry for interrupting. Five thousand nine hundred sixty six. 
All right. Hey, cool. Thank you to be that six Let's call that six Thank you very much. That so we know it's not fake news. So yeah, right. Exactly. Um and I think you know this would be ideal where uh, it's not just about streaming through MI Tech News or uh, Podcast you through, or but perhaps yeah. run it through Podcast Destroy and stream it through there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this way, you're reaching an audience inside of LinkedIn. So um, you know LinkedIn before you know uh, putting this out on the market for everybody. Uh, did run their own internal tests and had their beta tests and uh, companies that were doing this. And they did find some interesting things. Um, Real quickly, they found that there were seven times more reactions to the live stream of a connection than there was um, uh, for just, let's say, posting, you know, uh, some industry information. And they also found out there were 24 times more comments for that live stream. So the, the results on their beta test uh, is pretty positive and pretty significant. I mean, you're talking about getting a uh, lot more people res- you know, engaging with you. Um, therefore, if you're running through as a subject matter, you're talking about uh, a topic, whatever it might be, um, you're likely to get more people within your network to join, you know, engage with you, talk to you, question you, uh, you know, fill in the comments. Um, this is a good thing um, because not a lot. I mean, there aren't a lot of streams that actually do this. And then I think the reason why LinkedIn is able to be successful on this topic is because you're tapping into your network. Um, that's a good thing. Um, so, uh, if you've been building up your network, like the three of us have over the years, uh, we have a good foundation to be able to get our message out to a larger audience and to get their engagement. Hmm. Well, we'll have to get to our, the the wizard of the board there, Dave Phillips, who I know is listening. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to apply. That's the other thing you have to apply, right. To get accepted. Yes, and that's the interesting thing. Um, and here's when we talk about application, when you get to LinkedIn's uh, website about uh, or the web page about LinkedIn Live, it, you will find your way through to the application. And there is something that you have to think about. Are you are you going to apply as an individual member, meaning for yourself, or are you applying for it as a as a company page? So there's a few different ways to go go about this. Number one is if you're going to run this through your company page, then you're helping build your brand, which is a good thing. If you're doing it as an individual member, then your company's second fiddle on this and you're running this as an, as an individual from LinkedIn's perspective, that's two different paths that they're, they're asking people to take. Um, so you could decide which way you want to, you want to apply. You don't get a response very quickly on the application. So it might be one of those things where you run the, you know, you apply as soon as possible and then uh, wait until they get back to you. Uh, so that's the first thing to keep in mind. Um, the other thing is you have to prove that you've been running uh, live streams before. You can't just not be, you know, somebody who's, who's had, ex- you know, without experience in, uh, running a show 
and just go and apply. Um, they want examples. Covered. I, I think we have that yeah, covered, I, right, Matt? So, uh, yeah, just a few. <laughs> like four years now. You. You know, so. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. I, think you guys, I think you guys are good, no question about it. And I, and I would certainly suggest that you uh, do go, run through the application. However, this application process raises uh, an interesting point. LinkedIn wants quality. They don't want everybody to just jump in and do a live stream. They actually want people who have had experience first, who understand what it is that they're going to talk about and what a show means, and then join the LinkedIn Live uh, program. So if you have no experience, go figure out how to get some experience first and then come back and let LinkedIn decide if uh, your level of quality is what they're looking for. Um, so this is a very interesting thing. You, not everybody's going to be able to join. I'm guessing that they're going to turn people down. Okay. Uh, and so uh, easy to easy process, right? Just Google LinkedIn Live and it'll take you Live. right there? I, absolutely. It comes up at the very top. Uh, it's a, uh, and you, you, you're going to run into multiple pages at the end of the day. I would say that there are roughly five important pages from the starting point that you're going to work your way through to find, you know, to learn about what LinkedIn Live is all about. Mm -hmm. There is something that I think is, there are some interesting points to keep in mind. So the first question is, well, how do you stream from your laptop, for example, to through LinkedIn? And the answer to that question is that you have to use a third party. You can't just turn on your mic, your camera and start streaming inside of LinkedIn. Rather, they have roughly nine or so third-party uh, um, companies or uh, tools, if you wish, um, that have been authorized to run this or that have the necessary technical capabilities to interact with LinkedIn's system. So uh, just real quickly, Restream, Wirecast, StreamYard, Switcher, Social Live, Easy Live, Teradeck Core, Wowza Cloud, Vimeo Live, Live You Solo, and Brand Live. Now, a lot of these, I would say, not everybody knows. It's not like your your mainstream uh, streaming companies like Livestream, for example, uh, who's been out on the market for a long time. Um, however, this list is available through those pages on LinkedIn Live. So if you don't have an account with any one of these, um, I would say set up an account, get that started, run your application and see how this goes. Um, my guess is the one that most people are familiar with is going to be Vimeo Live. Okay, we've got about two minutes left. So what, what can we kind of compress down into close notes about pointers? Yeah, about right, guidelines. So pointer. Yeah, so guidelines. Let's talk about the guidelines. No, and I'm just going to run through the list real quickly. Um, you're not allowed to stream more than once a day. That's important. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, no pre-recorded content. You cannot sell anything on your videos. You cannot show a sponsor's logo. You cannot run a promotional stream. It has to be informational. Hmm. Um, so th these are these are very interesting guidelines uh, that are trying to focus their attention on quality and education. Um, I did mention the 10-minute uh, um, issue before, and... Um, you, oh, this is this is kind of interesting. Your stream cannot be about how to use LinkedIn. Really? <laughs> Crazy, huh? Right. LinkedIn 
is not a subject as far as your stream is concerned. Find something else to talk about. <laughs> wow. that, that sort of that sort of reminds me of those old scam ads, make money working from home. And it turned out the working from home was placing ads in other publications that said make money working at home. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and getting people to pay you for that. That's yeah, that they're not looking for that kind of thing. Yep. Now here one last point. Um LinkedIn is going to be monitoring or keeping track of your progress, meaning mm -hmm. that let's say you said you're going to start a stream at 2 p.m. Mm -hmm. and it's 2.05 and you still haven't started, they're going to be tracking your lateness. Mm -hmm. So they are asking you that if you say you're going to start at 2 p.m., you're starting at 2 p.m. And so uh, if you're late, uh, keep, keep in mind that at some point you may get banned. Okay. Got, now we've got huh? a little less than a minute left, so now you can do your shameless plug. Talk about uh, your company. <laughs> All right, real quickly. Uh, my name is Maylee Ostley. I'm the CEO of Smart Finds Marketing, located in the Detroit metro area. Uh, we're a 33-year-old digital marketing agency. Uh, we mm -hmm. have been 100% digital for uh, 16 years now. We went uh, in 2004, 100% digital. Um, and our focus is to manage a client's entire web presence from websites to marketing, your SEOs and your socials and your <laughs> newsletters and your advertising, um, your Google Analytics, your metrics, pulling it all together um, to uh, produce a bang up job at the end of the day. Hey, and I can uh, do an unvarnished testimonial here. I've been working with Merely now for uh, four or five years. And when I first started with him, I had a pretty low web sort of uh, response, as it were. And he's like quadrupled that now, and I have a much bigger audience. So thank you. You're welcome. Okay. All right. Thanks very much, Maley Ostelay, Smart Finance Marketing. We'll be back in just a minute with another segment of the M Squared TechCast. For right now, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And you're watching at PodcastDetroit.com and other fine podcast outlets. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Lawrence Technological University graduates. But just toss them in with something are a great way to kind of take your game up another notch. There are people that are in need of essential foods. And so if you do something like a gift basket uh, filled with, you know, just basic essentials that, that people want and need that are Michigan brands, that can get them through. There are people that are only buying um, the things that they need to literally just feed their family and get by. And maybe something that's Nut brittle from Granny's Confections is a huge treat that they wouldn't be able to have otherwise. You know, no matter who it is, I think we all understand that if you've got kids and they have to have the latest game, okay, fine. But for the most part, almost everybody has people on their list that um, they're buying for. If you're buying for an adult, 
I challenge you that you can't find something that they would like amongst these 200 plus items that we have available to keep those dollars local. Whenever I went up to Traverse City, I didn't mean to step on you there, Matt. Uh, my dad, when he was alive, uh, always I was under instructions to bring back peanut brittle from Mackinac City fudge. That was his thing. He, you know, I'd be waiting for me when I arrived at the door, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, but- this Granny's Confections is, is in Howell. And as an example, uh, some of these places, too, if if they actually have a store, you you might not have to deal with the shipping. I, you know, they will come and meet you at the curb and and bring it to your car in some of these places as well. So that's ah, the other thing to think about. Sure. You're also looking to branch into business to business services a little bit. Talk a little bit about that if you would. Yeah, we've always we've always done that. So any Michigan-based business is invited to join our campaign. In fact, encouraged would be a better word, um, which they can do for free or they be, can become paid members. Right now, um, we're actually offering 40% off paid membership to try to give people a break during this difficult time. Um, so then go to our website and, and see that. As a matter of fact, before I go to the B2B, um, we have a whole section of deals. And we thought about uh, the Amazon Prime days and how could a little guy compete with that. So we went out to companies and asked them if they wanted to offer deals. So right now on, on our holiday page, in addition to finding the gift guide, you can find bargains from more than two dozen Michigan companies. And one of those is is our opportunity for people to uh, buy a membership at a discounted rate. But um, where do we do, you can do, we do features. Uh, we've have a new website. Our, our, I mean, our existing website relaunched quietly during the pandemic because it wasn't really appropriate to make a big deal out of it. But in that um, we identified um, nine different uh, niches that we think uh, we can help really serve and grow. So there's food, there's beverages, um, technology is one, mobility is one. Um, Basically, industries, style, industries that we think not only can we impact, but that really represent what the state is all about. Uh, and so um, we do a lot of features in, in those areas on businesses that are growing in those ways as well. So it's a fit for both. And in particular right now, because so many Michigan businesses are struggling, um, we're looking for companies to partner with that might be interested in offering a discount on their B2B services to these struggling small businesses to help them. You know, one of the things that I read it now, this is a couple years old, but I read a study a couple years ago that only 59% of Michigan businesses had a website. That was a couple years ago. It might be better, but it's pretty low, right? Um, And so that maybe was okay before. um, But now in the situation that we're in, if they haven't figured out a way to sell online, we really have to help them figure out a way to sell online because we don't know how long this is going to go on. And and Mike, as you said earlier, we don't know when the next pandemic may come. come along. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be another, unfortunately. So yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right about that. So, so if there's companies out there that do web hosting or web development or SEO, or, you know, any of those things that might help these companies get a, get an upper hand on doing that. And they want to partner with us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to take those calls. So well, we're going to have to leave it at that, Lisa. We'll get you back on the show after the holidays to do a recap of what was selling really well. But why don't you tell folks one more time how they can find you on the web? So go to buy, that's B-U-Y, Michigan, now, N-O-W.com. And the deals and all the holiday stuff is on a dedicated page called Holiday. Sounds good. All right, thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks for the patience. Hey, no problem. Lisa Diggs from BuyMichiganNow.com. Thanks for being with us today. We'll be back with another segment of the M Squared TechCast in just a minute. For right now, it's Matt Roush. And Mike Brennan.
And you're watching podcastdetroit.com and mytechnews.tv. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. We don't need music. Well, there we go. Okay. All right. Take two. <laughs> hey there, it's me. You got to love it, huh? Okay. <laughs> cool. Let's start. <laughs> Hello, it's Matt Roush. And Mike Brennan. And we're back with another segment of the M Squared TechCast with our weekly visit from our favorite infectious disease expert, Fred Brown. Fred, I got two quick questions for you before we get into what your presentation is today. Sure. First of all, I just read this this morning that the spike in cases and deaths that we're seeing now is related to activities at Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, for death, it takes about five to six weeks to run through the system. Death is a very slow um, uh, indicator uh, and trigger for response to a vac- uh, to to a virus. So yeah, okay. uh, and we'll so, uh, sadly, so we could expect we could expect to see the Thanksgiving spike then next month. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, uh, right around Christmas, New Year's. Yeah, perfect. Course, okay. Sadly, is it? Yeah, so we've got surges on top of surges. Oh, 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 yeah. So. <laughs> okay, and the the other thing was there was a uh, there, there's a couple of uh, establishments in northern Michigan that are openly defying the health department orders. There is a um, there's a barbecue place in Gaylord called Iron Pig that is now selling T-shirts call, uh, that say barbecue with a side of freedom and risk it for the brisket because uh, they're offering dine-in uh, service and they've had their liquor license stripped, but they're continuing to do it anyway. Uh, and then there was a place in Ellsworth. Great, great food. You can't argue with the food, but man, the health policy yeah. is, is not their is not their major. <laughs> yeah, right, the side right. issue of death, right? <laughs> yeah, arts, right? Yeah, not definitely not epidemiology. And there's a place on US 31 just south of Charlevoix called Frisky's Farm Market and Orchard uh-huh. uh, that had their Santa Claus party as scheduled on Saturday, and there were pictures from a drone. Literally thousands of people milling about. Now, granted, most of them outside, but also most of them without masks. So, 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 what do you tell people like that? I don't know if there's anything we can tell them. Ah, uh, well, um, you know, it's it's sadly it's not just about people accepting their own level of risk. This is something that we all share together, and um, it's not so much that you know the person who's uh, you know uh, going out for for a brisket. Um, is is so much at risk. It's that they in, unintentionally may become ill and then pass it on to others. And uh, that's what's so tragic about this disease. It's not like the flu or other where you get the symptom and you say, oh, I'm sick, I better stay away. In this case, you feel great. You know, uh, the, uh, 50% of us feel great even when we have the flu, well, we have it. Uh, and so that's that's the big risk is that, you know, it moves from you 
who's not having a very bad I- I- impact on to someone who you know sadly does have a bad does have a bad impact on. And we and we sadly don't know about, don't know enough about the science to be able to predict who those people are. Other than if you're older, we know that there you've got about a fourteen times you know fourteen to eighteen times greater chance if you're over sixty five seventy, um, uh, respectively, uh, to uh, to uh, die from the from from the, from the virus. Hmm. And that's what's so sad about it is that it's it's sort of a shared responsibility we all have. And the problem with eating brisket, as you all know, is, uh, <clears throat> you know, you want to take off the mask and go to it. Right. And uh, we just can't. That, that's the difference, I guess, between, you know, shopping at a co- at shopping at a store uh, where you're, you know, we've got some distance people. And when you're eating close to people uh, and and you're uh, having to take off your mask uh, and, uh, and and to eat or eat and drink, uh, there's just no way around it. And so if they if they have a uh, a place outside to eat the brisket, absolutely go for it, you know. But if they, if you have to eat inside, uh, I'd I wouldn't I wouldn't do that for more than 10, 15 minutes. So you, you can order first and get there and just eat scarf it all down fast. That 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 may lead to some unintended consequences. But my my suggestion would be uh, not not to not to do that uh, if you have. I, any I guess I'd rather have a gastrointestinal it. event than a respiratory event. <laughs> oh, there you go. I love the stuff, you know, and 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 yeah. assure uh, you know up up north they know exactly what they're doing with with uh, with with the food. Um, but uh, it is it, it isn't so much uh, the danger to you. Uh, you can probably take on that 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 risk for people who are going into the uh, restaurant. It's just that you unintentionally are going to. You know, just chances are you're going to contact someone who's going to be uh, who who might have bad symptoms, and, and that that that's uh, that's the tragedy of uh, of the situation. We yeah. do know quite a bit more now about mandates and no mandates, uh, and I can show you some interesting uh, slides. This is some yeah, work. Yeah, please do. Um, so, <laughs> what I what I've been working on is uh, is actually what I did. Uh, I was asked by one of the governors uh, who I'm working with uh, if they if they could have a playbook, if they could have a roadmap to success uh, based on. Uh, so what we've done uh, with COVID uh, is that uh, we asked all the jurisdictions, there's 64 jurisdictions in the United States, we've asked them all to come back to the CDC. This was back in October, late October, October 22nd. Uh, and, we, and the CDC had said, can you please tell us exactly what your plans are? And now we've had a chance to review all those plans and the governors have come back saying, okay, you know, where are the holes? What do we have to watch for? And so we've come up with a playbook and I'll show you what that looks like. Uh, it's still in edit, edit form. So if you have any changes you want to make, you still have that chance, but we're going to get it out today because uh, it is a little bit on the late side because we're starting to get, uh, we're starting to get, I can't see, there we are. Let me share this here. Uh, we're starting to get vaccines already being delivered to vaccinator sites. Uh, I heard that the first ones are going to be delivered this week, uh, not in the UK, I think, right? Oh yeah, yeah, the UK is already underway. Uh, that's that's right. Tuesday, uh, they're going to start uh, with those. That was the wrong document. I apologize. So let me see if I can. I got to get that five-hour energy over to you there. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate it. I've been working on this for a couple of weeks now. And, uh, you know, we've got some really great people on it. So I think it's really going to help people kind of understand what some of the issues are. But here's what it looks like. Um, uh, you're the first to see it, literally. Well, you have some editors. Feeding COVID, your jurisdictions roll back to normalcy. You can see we've, we've split this into three large sections. The first large section is, you know, 
pre-vaccine viral suppression. So as you know, we're going through, and I don't know if, uh, if you can see this all right, or let me see if I can get it on the uh, one page here. Yeah, it's kind of an eye test right now. Yeah, I can't, uh, I need to uh, stop sharing and move it into one page format uh, off, off the line. I apologize, I can't manipulate it online. You can also do an enlarge of the page. Yeah. There we are. So. Okay. Oh, I went back to two pages. Apologies. Apologies. We're going to get there, though. Uh, one second. Here we are. Let me take a look. And uh, I'll be back. And. <coughs> I believe it's this one. So here's uh ah, there we go. So here it is, defeating COVID. And uh, basically we have and this is uh cut it, cut it, we've split it into three sections. The first well, after an executive summary where we talk about the challenges and the imperatives, we basically create a roadmap that looks like this. And basically there are three big uh, things you want to do. You want to reduce and locate um, the virus. Here, this is all about masking and, and antigen testing, right? You want to be able to mask and reduce the, the, the uh, COVID. And we'll talk about uh, in a second just how effective masks can be. Uh, and then uh, with some goals, you want to N95 mask every citizen every day, and you want to use masks and distancing when you can. And then we have antigen testing uh, as a second part of locating, understanding where the virus is, how powerful it is, uh, which, which, uh, and which, uh, understanding which of your populations are at biggest risk. Then we go into vaccination, which is going to happen, as you know, starting basically December 12th. We'll start to have the first people in Michigan being vaccinated. Uh, we're waiting for the final, um, we're waiting for the final release of the Pfizer material. I have seen some of the data in advance. It looks great. I'm looking forward to seeing the complete data sets, um, uh, especially around, uh, safety and, uh, and efficacy, uh, uh, cause they, they're, we don't, we don't, we've got very small data sets to be able to analyze so far, kind of 200, 500 patient level data. Now we're getting, you know, 7,000, 8,000 patient level data sets and that, that, that's going to be revealing. Uh, but we'll, we'll find out more about that. Then the next, the next, uh, oops, the next level, oh, oh, I'm bouncing around here. I apologize. The next level down, uh, is, is actually improving is, is then once you've got the vaccination out and you're starting to get into a standard, environments of simply you know, vaccinating and keeping people uh, herd immunity, then you want to monitor, maintain, and improve it. And you can see that we've got two things. One is serology testing, which we haven't really talked that much about. And I, I should probably talk to you a lot more about that because uh, we're going to start to have to do that uh, as we roll out these vaccines, I think. Uh, safety, uh, and that actually we're going to be starting to track herd immunity. And then we're going to look at future pandemic responses by building uh, Sentinel testing infrastructure and and pre-positioning rapid response in, uh, resources for the next uh, for COVID outbreaks uh, and the next pandemic. And finally, you want to look at you know kind of three levels of normalcy. One is healthcare normalcy. How do we do that and make sure we can maintain this uh, this this new normal that COVID created for us? The social and economic resiliency. And then we want to look at private and public partnering. You'll have to see, you know, we have to go so fast with, with this inter infrastructure. The only way we can do that is through partnerships. And we'll talk, and this goes through how to do that uh, in, in quite a bit of detail. So with that, um, 
we talked about this slide, which is important. States that want to muddle through and just say, well, we'll get there eventually, just stay with us and you don't have to worry about masking or hygiene or, or uh, you know, figuring, doing testing in the meantime. If you're in a muddle through state, and there are some that are, you know, have been called to task recently, uh, in Iowa, for example, in the Atlantic, uh, uh, has been called to task for not doing enough. Uh, and they're, if they continue to kind of muddle through, they're going to have two and a, two, about two and a half times more deaths before they can get the vaccine effects. Uh, and, and it's going to cost their economy about 10% of their GDP more than a, than, than a, uh, than, than, than a state that does, that does not muddle through. It actually tries to control two things. One is the allocation process. Uh, and the second is to try to control the, the virus before you start the vaccination process. So you're not trying to vaccinate in the middle of a pandemic, right? So those, that, 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 that shift in the curve from a high, high starting point to a low starting point and the shift in the slope of the curve from something that's pretty effective to something that's ineffective in terms of allocation means that you're talking about literally 2.25 times a death and about, uh, about 30% greater impact on your economy than, than states that start to say, we want to get a control of this. We want to get ready for the vaccination program. That's that, that. And you asked about this is the cost, about six trillion dollars more if we decide not to do anything in advance of this versus if we do decide to do something about this. Uh, and that's uh, based on Larry Summers' calculations. And he, as you know, was former head of the Treasury, former head of National Economic Advisors. Uh, I came up with about a trillion dollars more than he did, but we're right in the same ballpark. And he's a better name than me, probably. <laughs> He's also a better economist, off the record. <laughs> okay, we won't tell anyone. So. <laughs> yeah, he knows what he's doing. I, I try, but he's, he's, he's actually he's one of the great pros. So here's the, here's the question you asked about, Matt. Is, you know, suppose we have no mask policy. Well, we actually looked at 23 states and seven countries. I'm, I'm working with a, a number of these states, so I, I have a little bit more access to data than others. If you decide, so you can see... Uh, one month before we implemented, this is basically kind of June, July timeframe. If we look at one month period before we implemented the mandate, you can see that there's not much variability between these states, right? It's all kind of in a, in a confidence interval that's pretty, pretty, you know, it's pretty much in the same range. We were pretty, a pretty flat part of the curve with the exception of California, Florida, and Texas at this time. So we were looking at other states. Now, what happened was some states enacted a mandate and other states didn't enact a mandate. If you enacted a mandate, uh, then your average rate of decline in COVID new case reports was about 25% over the next two months period. And in, in some cases, in some countries that have better compliance than we did, they actually uh, went down to zero uh, uh, so quickly that it's off the chart. Uh, so some of them went down to you know third by thirty five percent and then hit no, you know no more no more transmission. So that's how effective masks can be. Now, if you were in a in a state that did mandate a mask, that I'm sorry that did not mandate a mask, uh, then that then you'd have in this, over the same period in the United States and these other countries you would have a hundred and fifty percent more new cases. This is a dichotomy that that has almost no overlap. In other words, there's almost in no case did states with a mandate have more uh, COVID new cases than states without a mandate. In no case did that, that happen. Well, even more interesting was the state of Kansas. Did I tell you guys about this? No. So the state of Kansas 
actually had an opt-in mask policy. And they have um, a certain number of counties that opted in. I think, you know, about a third of them opted in. And we tracked that. And those, those counties actually had a decrease that opted in and said, we're going to have a mandate. Those counties had a decrease of 6% in Kansas. Hmm. 70% of the counties did not opt in. They said, no, 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 masks aren't for us. You know, that, 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 that's not for us. We, we want to, you know, uh, not, not, not opt in. Thank you very much. What do you think happened in those counties? So minus 6% for the counties that did opt in, right? This is all Kansas. This is all the same health system, all the same sort of level of population density, all that stuff pretty controlled for now, you know, in the state. What, what do you think happened when to the, to the counties who didn't have masks versus the counties that did have masks? I'm guessing that without masks went up, right? The without masks went up 150%, just like we predicted. Yeah. What's interesting is because these 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 masks, the, the counties that did opt in were pretty close to the counties that didn't opt in, you didn't have as good an effect uh, of a full mandate, right? Because you had a little bit of crossover, a little bit. And so instead of having a 25% impact, we only had a minus 6% impact. But hey, minus 6% is a heck of a lot better than plus 150%. Right. Uh, and so that's so they do work. So we can go with opt-in mandates if you want to, and say no, certain counties, certain uh, groups don't who don't want to uh, mandate have the mask, and it still is going to impact the overall the overall uh, situation. So that, so we go into masking and how important that continues to be. We also talk about antigen testing, and here is the great quote from uh, uh, from from Tony uh, from Tony Fauci. If you had a national plan for testing, what would it be? And here's what he said. Surveillance testing, flooding the system with tests, getting a home test that you could do yourself that's highly sensitive, highly specific. And you know why that's terrific? Because if you decided that you wanted a small gathering with your mother-in-law or father-in-law and a couple of children, and you tested right there, you could test and understand what your situation was in terms of your health. And so we have a do-it-yourself kind of am I contagious test right there in your house every day. And there, there are paper tests that are available uh, that are coming out of uh, Boston right now, coming out of uh, Yale right now and uh, out of Harvard. And those are, you know, 70% accurate. So if you do enough of those each time, you're going to get a pretty good sense of whether you got the, the, the disease or not. And the idea here is you don't have to be, he says, don't let uh, per- the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, there's nothing that has no risk. This is going to have some risk, but it's so much better if we're able to do what I call ubiquitous testing um, uh, into the future. And so that's what we're recommending the states move to. First, move what, you know, continue to do your symptomatic testing, double your capacity so you can do serologic, uh, so you can actually do surveillance testing, actually test people who aren't feeling sick, understand what the real level of COVID is in your environment, and then move to ubiquitous testing where you can do this every day. And the FDA should start to be approving these, 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 uh, these diagnostic tests shortly. So that's, we go through that and the different kinds of testing and what we recommend. And then here's basically what we need to get to. Right now, you can see that the, the, that little line that shows kind of the number of 2 million tests a day. That's our, we're doing, a, we're able to do about 2.15 billion tests per day in reality. Our, our, our theoretical capacity, if we, all we did was these tests all the time, would be 3.5 million a day. So we can get to 5 million a day with surveillance testing, you know, with, with, with some work, but we can get there pretty quick. The trick is to move to a different kind of test, uh, ubiquitous testing, uh, where we have 20 million a day being capable of, of testing. Then you really know what your status is at all times. You can create weather maps. 
you know what, just like back in the day when we had old weather maps, remember we couldn't predict more than three days in advance. We couldn't really understand whether it was going to rain or snow or whether it was going to be windy. Now we can tell that to an hour and exactly what your location is. And the reason is we just have so much more data coming in. Those supercomputers that are you know, looking at all that data from, from, from a grid that's literally you know, every, every, within every mile of the country versus before when we had grids that were sort of at every airport, you can really get accurate. And that's the same thing that we're doing with, with, with ubiquitous testing. Uh, and that's the idea. And here we, we, we talked a little bit about how that would work at your home and how you have a detector at home, or you can simply use these, uh, these paper tests that turn different color. Uh, uh, those, those technologies are all there. Uh, and then we move into, okay, you're ready. We give people punch lists. So at, at the end of each section, we say, here, here is what you must do, right, uh, in, in pre-vaccination. you got to ramp up the supply. You've got to specifically uh, uh, set these kinds of masks. You've got to create uh, early testing triggers and so on. So we go through all those things that every, every jurisdiction has to do at the end of each section. In section two, we actually talk about vaccination, which everyone is focused on right now, but it's very, this is important to get things down uh, early. And so here is, uh, 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 we're, we're putting in the electronic links as we speak right now. And you know about how we're gonna allocate the testing initially. So you've got to have, uh, every jurisdiction has to have an allocation system once it gets the CDC uh, vaccines. And this can be, be based on policy priorities, which we talked a little bit about, or based on the infrastructure that you've got. If you don't have very good infrastructure, you're probably gonna have to make people come to you rather than have people come that rather than having the vaccine come to them. Uh, so those it'll differ a little bit by by the jurisdiction and what their starting points are. Uh, and basically we're, what we see a lot of is people saying, oh, we'll just use our we'll just use our flu vaccine infrastructure. And I'll tell you this is nowhere near enough. Um, <laughs> and you can kind of see the differences between a flu vaccine requirement uh, uh, and the first column because 100 you know we're talking about a third of the doses required. We're talking about booster shots being required now. We're talking about established relationships and old technology versus brand new technology. We're talking about supply chain constraints that are incredibly difficult. And so we talk, we, and so it's not using that same infrastructure as, as you do would for the flu. It's a good starting point, but you sure couldn't count on it. And then we, we, we so we talk a little bit about uh, what your metrics should look like. And here we have the mass, state of Massachusetts metrics where we look at levels of viral control you've got. Um, level that, and that's that's uh, talking about masking uh, and the RT levels around masking. We've got infection prevention, which is all around uh, testing. We have infection treatment, which talks about which is how many what your hospital capacity looks like. And as you know, around the country, there these are getting filled up. And then we're looking at vaccination levels and distancing deployments in order to control, uh, you know, whether we can flatten the curve a little bit. Um, we talk about what dose volumes you can expect. Uh, and and then here's exactly what the supply is going to look like in January through June if everything goes according to the manufacturer's current plans. And when that's going to when you're going to move from a forced market, a forced economy of allocation, saying here's your test, to one where you can go and say, you know, uh, CVS, I want to have this test. Here's my thirty bucks. Uh, I want to have this vaccine. Here's my thirty dollars, and be able to be free of 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 those of the constraints of of, of the demand curve. We think that's probably going to happen right around uh, in the uh, as soon as Merck comes on the market, they'll they won't be constrained. Um, that'll be probably around June. So it'll be a it'll be a very controlled market initially, hybrid market, and then moving to an open market. 
Uh, here are the different kinds of tests, and we'll talk. We'll we'll save this for another day. But there are differences in the tests, and maybe next week we can talk a little bit about why you want to use different vaccines for different situations. Uh, and here's the rollout, which we all, uh, which actually ASIP is talking about this week, and we'll have a final uh, recommendation from them. We think it's going to look something like this, with uh, with with A, uh, sorry, the the first phase looking in the, in three phases, A, B, and C. And we believe that it's going to be initially the healthcare and long-term care residents moving to a center work and moving to adults, but that could change. There are a number of us, me included, who would like to see a little bit more of the adults with high risk occurring a little bit earlier in this process. When we look at, you know, out to March 21st, that just seems, um, you know, long, long to me. And I'm concerned about uh, death rates in this particular group in one C group, in the one C group. Um, Matt, have you resumed smoking again so you can get into the high-risk category? <laughs> no, no. Quitting smoking was the hardest thing I've ever done. I have no desire to repeat that. I can oh, tell man, that is a tough yeah. one. Yeah. And, and gosh, it's, it's a long document, but I just wanted to give you a sense of what, what everyone's going to be getting. Uh, here is we, we go into the data sets that are required. Um, uh, we, we actually talk about how these, all these systems have to come together, where these linkages have to occur. Uh, and we can talk about that maybe next next week in more detail. We then talk about the idea that you want to get as many vaccinator sites as possible enrolled uh, and qualified, so you don't have to have thousands of people going to just a single site. But well, which was going to be one of my questions: Is the military going to be involved in this? It seems like they have the logistical knowledge to be able to pull this off, right? There, there are a number of states who are going to be using uh, the, their 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 national guard for mm -hmm. the distribution, and I'm really Makes recommending sense. strongly that people do have a mobile. A mobile capability. You can see this. This is part of New Jersey. They do want to have mobile capability in certain areas of New Jersey where people, residents don't have quite the same amount of coverage that we think we need uh, in vaccinator sites that are fixed. So we talk a little bit about the process of which you need to en enroll these vaccinator sites. We talk about mobile sites versus fixed sites. You can see here the, the, the big truck coming in, so you're able to move that around. Particularly good for Pfizer type vaccines where you've got a very difficult uh, supply chain. Uh, and you need to have one qualification and get it around people. Um, here's the fixed sites. You know, Walgreens and CVS are probably going to be the bigger uh, chains that are involved. And then we talk about each of these processes. And there are three critical processes, allocation, delivery, and administration of the vaccine. And you want to make sure you, you're focused and have a team that's focused on each of these areas. We go into a lot of what a minimal viable product looks like versus an ultimate, ultimate system. So there's a you can choose to automate any of these processes along a continuum. And we can talk a little bit about this maybe next time because it get does we do get into some detail here. You can get a sense of 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 just how much capability some that some of the jurisdictions have already versus versus others uh, who are who are going to have challenges if if they're uh, luckily these some of these jurisdictions are smaller so they but they still have, are going to have some challenges. We talk about uh, then um, uh, for each case the mineral viable product for each of the, the functionality required. There's thirty about thirty functions that we highlighted that says you've got to have this kind of capability for each of your processes. Uh, and then uh, we talk about if you have those kind of capabilities, here are the data sets that you need to actually have. Uh, and, 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 and a lot of these are CDC required. There are about seven of them that we're suggesting people do uh, support uh, so they can actually run the system and pull the data appropriately. And we then move uh, very rapidly into the idea of how important it's going to be to have good communications. 
uh, because without good communications, it's unlikely we're ever going to achieve herd immunity. There's so many people who are resisting the vaccine, distrustful of it, that without explaining to you why it's good for them, we won't make herd immunity. We'll be about We'll be between 20 and 30 percent below what we need to be in herd immunity, and that's still a very dangerous environment where we can still have outbreaks. So uh, I, I hate to stop you, Fred, but we're running out of time here. Well, we're in the middle of communications. What better chance to talk? Yes, to I, I was going to say what, what nice segue there. Yes. Uh, so I, I'm Stay assuming tuned next week when we uh, yeah right okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming this. This book will be available to government folks if they want to get it from well, you. I, I, I'd be happy to put it on your website. Anyone who wants it, welcome to have it. Absolutely. It's yeah, yeah. Well, we'd be happy to publish it. So, uh, Beautiful. Oh, absolutely. That information and yeah, we can get so, it out to the right folks. Uh, I'll just go to the last page where we have a nice road with some good biomarkers showing we've got crossed the finish line. In, in the, okay. Yeah. So, at any rate, that's that's uh, that's what I've been working on. Uh, and, uh, you know, it'll go out today and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send it over to you guys, and please send it out, you know, as to anyone who wants one. Sounds great, Fred. We'll have you back next week. So, hey, and uh, for what it's worth, for those keeping score at home that weren't watching, uh, Whitmer just announced an extension of 12 days um, at a minimum. So what does that mean exactly? Uh, so the, our, 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 the pause continues. The pause continues for at least 12 days. Uh, the director of Health and Human Services just said yeah, don't expect everything to just pop open at on that 13th day. Uh, there's going to be a phased approach, so yeah. So 12 days, uh, we're looking at... Uh, the 21st. Okay. All right. Well, good to know. Uh, we, we're breaking news here. All right. Wow. Very good. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so thanks and, very much. And, and, and if and you want more information from Fred, it's at fredbrown.com. And by the way, I went there, and a lot of the videos that we've done with you on this show are not on that website. Oh, send them over. We'll put them up. I, I apologize. Those should be up. Um, yeah. Team, uh, I, maybe I just, I, maybe I can, if you can just send them over, can you send them over? That'd be probably, yeah, I'll send them all over all the links and then you can put them up there. Sorry, yeah. my, Matt, I didn't mean to cut you off, but go ahead and take us out. All right. That's fine. Uh, and, uh, and to quote my uh, favorite uh, political talk show, the Stephanie Miller show, when news breaks here, it stays broken. So uh, <laughs> <that would> be, <laughs> we'll be back next week with another episode of the M Squared TechCast uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern time next Monday. For right now, it's Matt Roush and Mike Brennan. And you've been watching the M Squared TechCast at podcastdetroit.com, MITechnews.tv, Facebook Live and a whole bunch of other places. We'll see you next week. 